right, so let's read the text, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and we should have this memorized by now, huh? <laughs> it reads, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what, in the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see, see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you into pieces." By way of review, so far what we've seen in dealing with this section of the Sermon on the Mount is one, we discussed that all judging is not wrong. Meaning Christians must identify and discourage wrong, immoral behavior in ourselves as well as in unbelievers. And we'll talk more about that a little later um, as we traffic through the message this morning. Two, we learned that wrong judging is when we play God by setting up our own criteria for judging and begin to condemn others based upon that false standard of righteousness. Okay, that's where all wrong judging begins, okay? That's what Jesus is talking about here. And I, I would refer you to, if you want more, if you're not convinced by my teaching, I would just refer you to John MacArthur's uh, commentary on this section of scripture, it's excellent. I don't agree with everything that MacArthur teaches and says and so on and so forth, but I agree with a lot of it, all right? And this is one of those pieces that I do, um, or sections of scripture that I do, that I think he really captures the sense and what's going on in terms of what Jesus is discouraging and encouraging in the lives of God's people. Number three, then we, we define righteous judging as God's people holding each other accountable to God's standards revealed in his word, all right? Now, what I want to do this morning is just give you three examples of righteous judging, how we as God's people are to judge righteously, all right? And how you and I must get this down if we're going to do life here together, if we're going to unify and be a church the way Christ intended us to be. And so the first area that I want to discuss this morning is our responsibility to evangelize unbelievers, right? Because all churches have to make it their business to do what? Evangelize unbelievers, right? We can't just sit on our salvation and have it all to ourselves, right? Just me, God, and each other. No, we gotta, we gotta reach out, brothers and sisters. We gotta evangelize. We gotta share the gospel, Right? And the problem with that is, many times, is we wind up, what? Judging them in a wrong sense, right? Many, many, many uh, unbelievers feel judged by us, okay? And sometimes rightfully so. So what we need to talk about is how do we point out sin, but yet at the same time, show the love of Christ to unbelievers when they come to this place. And I have a catchphrase for you, and I made this up all by myself, so I want you guys to be proud of me this morning. Ready for this? Okay, here it is. So here's the catchphrase. Rule of thumb that you can use, write it down. Point out sin, but never condemn. 
kind of rhymed, right? <laughs> Let me repeat it. Point out sin, but never condemn. Okay, use that as a rule of thumb when you're working with unbelievers. Use that as a rule of thumb even when you're working with believers. It's okay to point out sin. When you point out sin, you're not necessarily judging in a wrong sense. We've already established that, right? I hope so, brothers and sisters. We're on the same page there. And if we're not, we're going to see it again this morning. But we want to be able to point out sin without condemning people, right? And not what the Lord Jesus did with us when he saved you and I. I was very convicted of my sin. I felt judged. But I wasn't condemned by the Lord Jesus because he gave me hope. He gave us hope, right? And so we have to be well skilled at doing that. Being able to point out sin, but yet not condemn. Be wise as serpents, Jesus says, but harmless as doves. And doves are pretty harmless, aren't they? Okay, so the question is, how do we go about doing that? What does that look like in time and space? We all know these things in our heads, but the hard part is working it out when we have to live it out, right? And that's what I'm going to try to attempt to do this morning is give you some scenarios where, where we have to nuance things and, and explain things in a way that will bring clarity to this very difficult topic to live out, okay? And, uh, and let me just say, it is a difficult topic to live out because I know in my life, and I've been a Christian for over 30 years now, there have been times where I have been judgmental and critical in a wrong sense, not that I'm trying to be that way. I, we just, that's, that's the default mode for some of us, right? We can wind up being that way if we're not careful, to obey the Lord Jesus Christ here. Or the other extreme is, man, forget it. I ain't calling out sin in nobody's life. I'm just going to live me and Jesus. And I'm just going to get there, right? And I don't want to have to worry about anybody else. And I don't want to, you know, I'm just going to do my program, if you will. And we know that's extreme because when you read the scriptures, it won't allow you to do that, Right? Okay, so there has to be a balance. We're going to be doing this all the way to heaven, and sometimes we might be here, and then we balance back, and and it's like, and then we're here. So get used to that, brothers and sisters. All right. So righteous judging and our responsibility to evangelize unbelievers. In fact, I would go a step further and say we must, as un, or Christians. In our evangelizing unbelievers, we must point out sin. That we must. And I say that because if you don't point out sin as you communicate the gospel, you are not faithfully accurate and accurately representing the gospel of the kingdom of God's grace. Okay, and I want to show you that this morning. All right? And we talked about this Wednesday. Um, as we're studying what is the gospel, that booklet, we just wrapped that up. And I uh, closed it all out by, by telling uh, the brethren here that we have to be those who do point out sin in the lives of unbelievers, right? Okay. So let's look at this. Turn to, first of all, turn to Luke chapter 3. You guys, this is going to be like the ice bucket challenge here. I mean, this... <laughs> Luke chapter 3. Let me ask you, John the Baptist, who was he? 
John the Baptist. He came to do what? Baptize, right? But his baptism was specifically to prepare the way for who? The coming Messiah for Israel, right? I mean, he was chosen, elected, sovereignly saved by God's grace to do that very thing. Okay? He was picked by God for that very purpose. That's why God brought John the Baptist into existence. To pave the way for the coming Messiah. All right? And he preached, he and his cousin Jesus, he preached a message of what? Repentance and faith. Now let me ask you, what is repentance? And what has that got to do with the kingdom of God? And what has that got to do with getting saved? And what has that got to do with, what is repentance? Well, repentance implies something, doesn't it, brothers and sisters? Repentance means that you're going in the wrong direction, right? Israel as a nation was going in a wrong direction, okay? Even though, and I'm just applying it first historically before we get to how it applies to us, Israel as a nation was going in a wrong direction, and John the Baptist came saying, prepare the way because Messiah is about to come. And the children of Israel were confused because they were being taught wrong, right? And they, they didn't want to hear a message of repentance. No, we, we've, we've got it right. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out who Messiah is. We, we don't need you. Why are you telling us to repent? Why are you coming with that message? Just proclaim the Messiah's coming. And just tell us what he's to look like, you know? Is he going to be like David or Solomon? But why repentance? Why is he telling Israel, you got to what? Repent to be ready for your who? Savior. Of what? Sinners, right? See, 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 you guys see the message of the gospel has all together to do with pointing out what? Sin. But it doesn't mean that we have to be judgmental, critical, and condemnatory in the way we do it. All right? Does that make sense? There is a way to point out sin, but give hope. And that's what we're called to do as God's people, without exception, all the time. Whether it be in the life of unbelievers or whether it be in the life of believers, we are called to do it in a way that gives hope, that is encouraging, okay? Whether they reject that or not, that's between them and God, okay? So John the Baptist and Luke, and this is, this, like I said, this is the ice bucket challenge because John the Baptist, he doesn't play around. I'm just like, man, did I, I don't even know if I want to use him as an illustration. <laughs> Luke chapter three, I'm sorry, I'm not there yet, and you guys are. Beginning at verse 3. Luke 3, 3 reads this way. Uh, let's, let's pick it up in verse 1. Now on the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Trichonitis and Lysanus, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. Now, I just want to say here, do you see how accurate that is? This is history that you're reading here. You can't deny this time period, right? All these names mentioned. Just do some church, I mean, do some history. It doesn't even have to be church history. And you're going to find all these were, were figures in history, renowned figures, because this is truth. And truth didn't happen in a vacuum. Truth happened in human history, and we can't deny it. Number two, or, uh, verse three. 
And he went into all the regions around, or I'm sorry, verse two, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance from the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough way smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So God is gonna turn Israel's world upside down. Every valley shall be made what? Every crooked place made what? Right? Rough places made what? So Israel better be, get ready for their world to be turned what? Topsy-turvy, or maybe right side up. How's that? Okay, that's a better analogy, right? But they weren't ready for this. You understand? They weren't ready for a message of repentance and faith. Verse 7, Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers? Wow. Wow. Now, is John the Baptist sinning here? Is John the Baptist making these people feel like they were, they're, they're being what? Judged. You guys, put yourself in the shoes here. This is God's man coming to Israel, and he's saying, you brood of vipers. Right? We got to do something with that if we're going to be honest with the scriptures. Regardless of what commentaries are saying, regardless of what people are saying, we got to do something with this. Lord, why are you having John the Baptist speak that way to them? Couldn't he have been more softer and nicer? I mean, these people are going to go away feeling judged. Right? Okay? So we can't stop our ears. We can't say, ah, I don't want to listen to God's word. I just want to feel nice and good. No, we have to submit ourselves to Scripture. And Scripture's saying here, John the Baptist called him out and called him a brood of vipers. And he's not just talking about the Pharisees either here, brothers and sisters. They were the ringleaders. He's talking about the Pharisees and all those who invested in what the Pharisees were doing. Because the Pharisees rejected a gospel of God's grace. Okay? They didn't want it. They wanted nothing to do with it. They wanted to approach God on the basis of their works. They thought they were better than other people. And they thought that they got there because of their righteousness. You understand? And John the Baptist goes on in verse 8, Therefore, bear forth fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, Watch their righteousness. We have Abraham as our father. See it there? See, bloodline. And we've been following what Abraham's been telling us to do since knee-high to a grasshopper. That's their righteousness. You understand that? And John the Baptist is confronting that. And he says, no, I don't want that. You need to do what? What's the R word? Repent. Repent. You, you get it? You see what's going on here now? You see where Jesus and John the Baptist were dropped into from heaven? Into this, like, bullets flying. That's Israel. Do you understand that? Both of them. And they're coming to Israel, and Israel wants nothing to do with the righteousness which is by faith in Christ alone. They don't want that as their Messiah. They want a righteousness by works because we're the seed of God, we're the children of Abraham, we're the bloodline, and we're his special people. And you need to acknowledge that, John. You and Jesus. He is not our Messiah. We will not have this man to rule over us. But others in Israel were listening and weighing it out against the what? 
scriptures. And that's why the scriptures go on to say, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. Because people in Israel would have known, you know what? It has been written that, that a man in camel hair and eating locust and honey and, and crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. I read that in the book of Isaiah. Hmm. Maybe we do need to repent. Maybe we got this all wrong. Get it? Maybe we're off. Maybe we've been taught wrong. Maybe we really don't understand how to get right with God, even though we profess that as a nation. Maybe we're not the hope to the rest of the world of how men and women, boys and girls get right with God. Maybe we got it wrong. Verse nine, and even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees, therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's John talking to Israel. So the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? And they're asking him because some are receiving what he's saying. And they're beginning to ask, well, what does repentance look like? You understand? Well, what does it mean for us? If we believe your message, what does repentance look like for, for me? All right? And then he goes on, verse 11. He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. In other words, stop being greedy as a people. Learn to share and learn to give, right? Verse 12, then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? Notice what he says. And he says to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him saying, and what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. What does those things imply about the soldiers, the tax collectors and the people before John said that? that they were doing those things. You understand that? So if you read Israel as a nation under the old covenant, you see that they were very oppressive. You see that they were judgmental. You see that they were critical of others. You understand that? And John the Baptist is saying in a nutshell, this is what repentance looks like for you. He's calling out what? Now these people are saying, don't judge me. You judge. No, what he's doing is he's calling their sin out and he's preparing the way for who? The Savior of who? See how he prepared the way for the Lord? Simple. He came preaching a, a message of repentance and faith to Israel. Some people got it. Some people didn't. And we know it was by God's grace, right? But the point is, they had to repent. And the people who were humble about it weren't going around saying, oh, you know what? We shouldn't be judging, John. Don't be doing that stuff. You know, because that's not godly. God's not like that. No, God is like that. God makes a distinction between moral behavior and deviant behavior. That's called judging. We have to do that. We do it all the time. It's the inevitable. There's not a soul on the planet that doesn't judge unless they're a vegetable, right? You have to judge. You are made in the image and likeness of God. The question is, do you do righteous judging or do you do condemnatory judging? You see the point? That's what we're talking about here, brothers and sisters. And as Christians, we got to get this down. We got to know what we're doing here. 
We can't make a mess of this. I personally believe the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is a blueprint for discipleship. That's what Jesus is doing. He's discipling there. It's a blueprint for all Christians throughout all generations as to what we need to be doing as disciples of Christ. Judging is huge. It's huge. You can destroy, okay, you can destroy a nation, you can destroy a, 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 a church, you can destroy a family if you don't get this issue right, okay? That's why he says, judge not, at least you be judged. And what measure you use will be measured to you, and so on and so forth. So John the Baptist came, preaching a message of repentance and faith. He called out sin. Let's look at verse uh, 19 to cap it off. Let's finish verse 15. Um, now, as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, see what they're trying to discern here, whether he was the Messiah. John answered, and John made it clear, saying to all, indeed, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean, clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What kind of language is that? Judging. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, what is that? Judging. And for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all that, he shut John up in prison. So Herod couldn't stand John because John was doing what? Pointing out his immoral wrong behavior. He was a leader. Shame on you if you're not pointing that out. This is why our, our, our nation is in such a disarray and confusion. Because we're calling evil what? And good what? We're trying, to, we're trying to justify abortion. We're trying, to, we're trying to justify murder. We're trying to justify homosexuality. We're, we're calling evil what? Good. And we're, not, and we're gonna keep quiet about that? Something's wrong with us if we do. And the world even knows that. You understand? Another example. Turn to John. And this is the Lord Jesus himself. All pause before we look at his example. Moment of silence. Because Jesus is the example. Okay? He sets the record straight. After we get done looking at him, we stop. No more disputing, no more discussion, right? Because he has come as the express image of God what he's like, who he is, how he does life, all right? Um, someone might say, yeah, well, John the Baptist was a sinful man and you just caught him where he was sinning there, pastor. Okay, fair enough, I'll give you that. Although that's not true, but for the sake of argument, let's, let's uh, turn to Jesus and how he did evangelism. Turn to John chapter three, and we're just gonna, so John, the gospel gives a series of uh, examples of Jesus coming down and, and doing his, like John the Baptist was doing, doing his evangelizing. So he evangelizes a man by the name of Nicodemus, who was a proud what? What kind of, what style of sinning was Nicodemus? Self-righteous sinner, that's right. 
So he represented all those who are in false religions or bad religions that think that they're right with God, but they're right with God based upon their own what? Standards, right? Okay, and we can name a thousand and one religions, right? That are in that category. Okay, that was Nicodemus. Nicodemus thought he had it right. He thought he was right with God. But the exact opposite was true about him. And Jesus came to point that out about him. That's what we call judging. You understand? How about the next person that Jesus evangelized? You guys remember the Samaritan woman? We call her the woman at the well, right? And, and Jesus sits down on a, on a bench and he's, he's rubbing his feet because he's, he's had a long journey and this woman comes out and she pours water for him. And Jesus starts a discussion with a woman, first of all, right? Because in Israel culture, we don't do that, right? And then on top of that, she's what? Samaritan. She's a half-breed. You know, we don't mix with half-breeds, Right? See the proud, judgmental, arrogant spirit that the Pharisees were promoting in Israel? See the cultural shift? It, it highlights what Jesus means when he says, judge not, lest you be judged. You understand? Jesus broke those norms. He's talking to this woman, even though she's a woman and she's Samaritan. You understand? He doesn't care because he's not following man's criteria. He's not following man's standards for judging. He's following his father's. But I want you guys to notice something. Just go to uh, four right quick, and, and I'm just going to highlight these to point out where he points out the sin. So this woman is excited in verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become, this is verse 14, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. What is Jesus sharing with this woman? The hope of the what? Come on, guys, the hope of the what? The gospel, right? He's sharing the good news with her. You understand that? This woman's a Samaritan woman. She thinks that she knows Messiah's coming. We're going to read that. She has her religion, right? She's been following the, the religion of the, you know, it's a little different than the Pharisees because they were from, a, you know, the kingdoms were split up. But the point is, she's okay. And Jesus is going after her, right? Jesus is beginning to lure her with this hope for this water, right? And she's thinking physically, just like Nicodemus was thinking physically. Can a man enter back into his mother's womb and be born again? What are you talking about? Gee, who are you, by the way? Hey, born again, what's that? You, you, you see what's going on here? No different from the Samaritan woman. She's thinking, water, water, I don't have to bring my pot anymore? Oh, give me this water, Lord. And she's thinking physical, just like we would, right? And then Jesus goes spiritual on her right? But watch how he goes spiritual. And watch verse 15. The woman said to her, sir, give me this water. He's got her. She wants it that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And let me just say this before we go on. Jesus is evangelizing. This is how you do evangelism. It's how you win sinners right here. Okay. Take it from the master. It says, the woman said to him, or verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no, or I'm sorry, verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now, why in the, we, it was all good up until Jesus did what? <laughs> Pointed out what? Made her feel what? Judged. Right? This is Jesus. 
So if I was there with Jesus, I'd say, Jesus, why'd you have to go there? I mean, it was all so good. See, you had her. She was, you were reeling her in. You, I, I heard you make her fishers of men. Is that how you do the fishing thing? Or this, whatever. You had her. Now watch. Verse 18. Uh, verse 17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. This woman's probably feeling what now? That small. Why? Because he's going after immoral, deviant behavior in her life that she needs to be what? Saved from. Okay? All that water talk and stuff, that's good, but that doesn't help her to understand who Jesus actually is. Okay? If Jesus can fix my arm, that's great. If Jesus can turn water into wine, that's good. That proves that he's God. I get that. If Jesus can cast demons out of people, I get that. Only God can do those things. But that doesn't tell me why you came to the earth, specifically, until we get to the what issue? The sin issue. You and I have sin in our lives, right? And until you expose that in the hearts of minds and people, they ain't going to see Jesus for who he really is, the Savior of who? See, they'll, they'll say, yeah, Jesus is God. He turned out water into wine, and he cast that demon out, and he did that, and only God has those abilities. Yeah, we're pro-Jesus, right? Right? And we get plenty of people doing that. Until you say, woman, where's your husband's? It's like everybody ducks for cover, and they're out because they don't want to be what? Judged. And we're like, I can't, then I can't show you the Savior. I have no gospel at that point. Do you understand? See, telling people about Jesus is not the gospel. Highlighting how good Jesus and the miracles that he did is not the gospel. Jesus didn't actually give the gospel to the woman when he told her that, you know, I can, I can give you water that you can drink. He was just luring her. Do you understand that? But you got to do something, woman. You got to be willing to, what's the R word? Repent. And in order for her to know what she needs to be repenting of and from, you and I have to call out what? That's not what? Judging in a wrong sense. You guys get it? So don't ever let anybody out there or in here tell you that you should not be calling out sin because that's judging. And that's what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter seven. That is not correct. What Jesus meant is make sure when you have to do judging that you're loving the person and you're for them, okay, and you're not acting like God in their life. And we'll get to that, okay? But I'm just showing you here with the Lord Jesus. Now, one other, one other example, uh, John chapter eight. So uh, this is a series of evangelism. You had Jesus and uh, Nicodemus. You had Jesus and the woman at the well. And then you got another scenario in John chapter eight where Jesus and this woman caught in adultery, right? And then if you keep reading, you'll see Jesus and a tax collector, a greedy thief named Zacchaeus, right? Who was a tax collector and Jesus had to call out his sin. That's how we share the gospel um, as, as, as Christians. We have to go there. So in verse, I, I like this one, you guys, because it shows you how the Pharisees do evangelism. And it shows you how Jesus does evangelism. The Pharisees' evangelism is very quick and easy. You don't agree with me, we what? We kill you. According to whose law? Moses. 
We'll even use the law of Moses. Woman, I mean, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Let's read it. Okay. Uh, verse three. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. This is John eight. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, ooh, they're pulling the, the law, you know. This is, this is the heart of Jewish tradition, Mosaic law, right? Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? So you see what the Pharisees are doing, right? They're trying to pit Jesus against Moses, because if they could do that, then the Jews would say, you know what? Messiah would never be against Moses, so you can't be the Messiah. See the trap that they're setting for him? Follow me? But Jesus avoids that trap because he is really the Messiah. He's God. He's Jesus. He says, uh, now Moses said that. What do you say? Verse 6. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear him. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. That's how you point out sin, but do it in a gracious way. See that? Even starting with them, which what's amazing. We haven't got to the girl yet. You understand that? So Jesus listens to these guys. You know, the, we'll call them the bumbling, you know, Pharisees. And they think they got him, right? They bring this woman. And notice, this woman's not saying, no, 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 I'm falsely accused. No, this woman knows she's what? Guilty. So they, they have a case, all right? And they say, now Moses tells us to put her to death. What do you say? And they're like, got him, fellas. We got him. We got him, fellas. And Jesus never minds them. And then they keep asking. And then he says, he amongst you that is without sin, go ahead, far away. And you know what they do? They being convicted in their own hearts, looking at their own lives and says, you know what, boys, we're a bunch of what? Two. Who are we to judge? We are not God. Do you understand? You see that? You got to catch that, okay? Because don't confuse that with pointing out sin. Remember I said that the the the, the definition of judgment in a wrong sin is when you want to condemn after sin's been exposed see who gives them the right to throw those stones and condemn they're saying Moses gives us this right but Jesus is saying effectively but you're not God you're sinners just like who she is you have no right to be condemning people you have no right to be killing people for their sin in other words you aren't God you and I are not God you guys see that is that a fair uh, explanation of the text Okay, now watch. So the Pharisees, verse nine, then those who heard it being convicted by their own or their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. Okay? So what do you think was going on in those, those Pharisees? Why do you think that they uh, put those stones down and left? Huh? They were convicted, right. Meaning what though? Convinced that they what? Sinners. Their sin had been pointed out and the way it impacted them is they, boom, 
drop the stones. Oh, man, come on, guys. We got to go home. Can't even. They're not humble, right? You understand? They're just, they're just mad because they didn't win the argument. They're mad because they didn't get their way done. They're mad because Jesus didn't condone their what? Righteousness. But Jesus goes on in verse 10. Let's read verse 9b. Uh, then, or verse 9. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. This is beautiful. When Jesus had raised him up and saw no one but the woman, he said to the, her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Not judged you. Has no one condemned you. She was already judged, right? right? And she was found what? Guilty. They were trying to do what to her? Condemn her. You understand? Say, you know what? This building over here is infested with termites and we're just going to bring in the bulldozer and just wipe it out. And the government steps in and says, oh, no, you're not. No bulldozer. You're not going to condemn this place. We're going to redeem that. We're going to fix it. You understand? He says to her, verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I, what? Condemn you. Go and what? See, he, Jesus knew what the issue was. Jesus knew that this woman knew that she was caught between a rock, and literally a rock in a hard place, right? A bunch of rocks in a hard place, right? And Jesus says, do you guys know what's going on here? Don't just look at the language, or do you know what's going on? Jesus is the only one that can say, and neither do I, because he's not like every other what? Sinner. He has no sin. So how can you forgive me? You know what he's telling? Because I'm, on my, I'm going on my way to the what? Cross for people like you. So effectively he's saying, woman, who's here getting ready to kill? She says, no one, Lord, no one. And neither do I. Go and sin no more. As he's going to what? Pay for her what? Sins. That's the gospel. Do you understand? That's what Jesus is saying to her. That's why this woman fell in love with this man. Do you understand that? Because he's giving his life a ransom that she might have life. Do you understand that? And being very God of God, that amazes me. God himself, God, you guys, not another man, God sent his son into the world to do that for sinners such as you, as a, you like us. You understand that? that is a, we have to get that down. You have to give people that kind of hope. He deals with her sin, right? But he leaves her with the hope of the gospel. Not feeling like I'm hopeless, condemned, and ruined, and there's no hope for me. Amen? And we have to do the same, brothers and sisters. And, and this should highlight how you understand the gospel and how you present the gospel, how you share it, and what you think about God and his heart towards sinners. Um, so, 
Does that make the case, the point? Okay, we're to point out sin, but not condemn. Okay, and then we gave some examples there, and you'll find this all throughout scripture. So let's move on to the next point, and then we'll, we'll close out here. I'm not gonna get have time to go to church discipline. I do wanna highlight this point here. Um, the second area where we must judge, okay, is the area of church life, body life. Turn to Romans chapter 14, quickly. And in Romans chapter 14, the context there, and keep in mind, brothers and sisters, also in the first century or the, the uh, development of what we know today as the New Testament church, uh, God was uniting Jews and Gentiles together. So that's why you'll see a lot of the scriptures, whether it be Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, it's always talking about Jews and Gentiles. You know, you'd be like, man, why does the circumcision have to be mentioned again? And who are these Judaizers? And what's all this about? Because what God is doing is God is sending the message out to who now? The Gentile nations, right? And he hasn't forsaken the Jews, but the Jews that were saved, they had to come be incorporated into the life with these Gentiles now, and they had to learn how to get along. You understand? And that's, that, 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 that's, that's going to create some issues. Because the Jews, first of all, thought that Gentiles were what? Defiled, right? Dogs, pigs, meaning unclean. You know, just unclean. And so we got cultural issues that we have to deal with, right? We got civil issues that we're going to have to deal with. And that's what a lot of the, 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 uh, the reading of the New Testament is all about when you guys are reading those passages, okay? So you have to keep that in mind. But in Romans chapter 14, verses, well, let's read verses 1 through 13. Receive one another who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. All right? So receive one another who's weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. So you got these Jews and you got these Gentiles, right? And the example that Paul's going to use here is Jews who believed that eating certain meats was what? Anathema. We don't do that, man. We just eat what? Vegetables. Okay? And then you had those who believed that, you know, all things are okay. And then another example, in 1 Corinthians, you have those who were struggling with eating things that have been offered to idols, meats that have been offered. We're going to look at that because this is a commentary on Romans chapter 14. But again, Jew-Gentile stuff, right? You guys tracking with me? Apply things in this historical context first before you apply it to yourself and it'll keep you safe. Okay, he says, verse two, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who's weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for God has received him. So long story short here, what are some things that are disputable matters that we have to work out as Christians amongst each other? Is alcohol what? Sin, right? Because, you know, I don't want to mix and mingle with those people who believe it's not, and they allow their children to just drink, and I don't even care if it's casual drinking. And, you know what? Here they come. Okay, okay, they're passing, they're passing. Okay, now we can fit back into body life. Now, I know that's extreme, but you guys know what I'm saying. You guys get the point, right? Or, you know, we don't like to influence, so we're not going to let our children play with who? their children, and before you know it, those people start feeling what? Judged. 
You understand? But you say, yeah, but I got to guard my home and I got a right to shepherd my children, my family. So how do we do this? Because I don't want to be going to dinner and they're serving pork when our Jewish heritage and my boy who just went through bar mitzvah, right? And he's adult and, and we want to teach him according to our tradition. So how do we do this and get along and keep our Christianity at the center the gospel. See, see, see how important it is, brothers and sisters? We have to make judgments here, don't we? You can't just stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and hope it all goes away. We, we can't live that way. You have to make judgments. And we, we do make them. All right? He says, so, so let, me, let, let me name some other things. Here's a big one right now. Is marijuana smoking wrong? Ooh. Don't go there. Don't even talk about that, Pastor, because I don't, want, I don't want my youth to know that. And then before you know it, no, we have to talk about it. Would you like them to do it behind your back? You know, get with somebody at work and, and they're hearing on the law and through the media that it's okay and they're selling it in stores now and they're looking at it and everybody seems to be okay with it. And so uh, the guy after work says he's in the parking lot and he's smoking his, his medicine, if you will. You know, blazing it up there, right? And then he, he, he says, hey, you want to hit this? You guys laugh. That happened to me. It, it, it wasn't a medicine thing, but it, it did happen to me that way, right? I knew it wasn't medicine. <laughs> okay. Just saying. And you know what, guys? I, I, I smoked it. I was like, I like that medicine. I mean, I like that. <laughs> right? Felt really good. And so I had to come to terms when God saved me, and thankfully, it was illegal, right? But now we got problems because they're trying to make it something good and acceptable in society. So we got to exercise what? Dis judgment, discernment. And we got to get along amongst each other. If, if, I, if Pastor Carson's, well, if Pastor Carson's family is not doing the marijuana, my whole family's smoking blunts and joints and, you know, this and we're all, and he's coming by, he doesn't want his kids coming over into that world and stuff, right? <laughs> so I go to Pastor Phil's house. <laughs> So you guys see the point. You see how crucial this is to body life. You guys see this is this is this is Sunday schools, right? Working these things out. Now you see why we need dialogue. This is not something you can just preach and then just leave and everybody's going to get it. It doesn't work that way. We need sermons, we need teaching, we need reminders, reiteration, we need to interact and so on and so forth. But here's here's another one, divorce and remarriage, right? Am I free to remarry after I've been divorced? That's going to be an issue in body life here, and we have to make judgments, right? Uh, how about uh, how to use the Lord's Day? You know, can I go to restaurants, and can I, you know, just do what I want on that day? Because the Bible does say, remember the Sabbath day to what? Keep it holy. What does that mean? Right? Um, how about doctrines? Doctrines. Now, I know there's, there's doctrines that are non-negotiable that we have to agree on, right? The deity of Christ. You, you understand what, what I'm talking about? The fact that God is triune, the fact that God is one, and so on and so forth. But I'm talking about doctrines like 
Where are you at in terms of when the Lord's going to return and how he's going to return? Eschatology, right? That has no bearing on our salvation. But if we're going to fight and divide over that, something's wrong with us. You see what I'm saying? See, we're judging each other in a wrong way at that point. That's what Romans 14 is talking about. So let's say like Daniel's pre-male and I'm all-male. And then the, the church, here's Daniel and, and half the church agrees with him. And then they hear me and they say, ah, that's the hogwash. And we got this division. See, as pastors, we got to step in. We got to say, hey, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. We, we, we're getting carried away here. We still love one another. And because I hold a differing view than him, uh, that's what he's saying. Don't judge him and you make sure you don't despise me, right? That's what he's talking about because it's a disputed matter. Nobody knows exactly. You have to be God to know, right? At that level. So come on, we got to give each other room. Now, that's one area. That's one area where we judge in the lives of others. But that's not the harder area. The harder area is over sinful matters. Okay? Sinful matters. All right? So, <clears throat> and what I'm doing here, I got ahead of myself in notes because I'm running out of time. Two types of weakness. There's weakness in terms of convictions, and that's what I dealt with. You know, somebody believes that they can watch TV, another family believes that, no, nah, too much garbage on TV. I don't want to watch that, right? So those, and, and so we got to work out judging in that context and judge righteously. But then there's weakness meaning someone in the assembly who keeps caving into what? Sin, immoral, wrong behavior. What do we do in that case? Well, the Pharisees, we know what they wanted to do, right? Pick them stones up and get them out of here as soon as we see sin because we don't want to pollute this place, right? That kind of stuff. And that's critical, that's judgmental, that's judging in a wrong sense, and we all know that, okay? But what about people who are stuck in sexual immorality that come to us off the streets, right? And they repent... Of that, meaning, and I'm going to use the homosexual as an example because I've been asked, you know, why you keep bringing up homosexuality and why don't you point out some other sin or whatever? And I responded back to that person because this is in vogue in our day right now. And here's, here's what I want you guys to get first and foremost. And some homosexuals are on the move to try to establish their agenda, not only out there, but guess where? In the church. That's different from somebody who comes to us off the street struggling with homosexuality and says, you know what? I'm not for the rights anymore. I'm not out there at the gay rights, par uh, 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 gay rights parade. Yeah. So you know, hey, he's repenting. He's turning on all that. He's, he's not advocating for it. He's not saying, let's charge. Let's take the churches around here and, and let's get in there and, and let's, we got rights, you know. No, he's repenting. You know what the church is supposed to be? You know what we're going to do for you if you're in that situation? We're going to love you. We're going to lay down our lives for you like Christ did us. That's what we're going to do. Do you understand that? We're not going to judge you. We're going to say, you want to repent and turn from that? Come to us. We'll protect you. You'll find a family here. You'll find a home because we love you. And we're for you. You understand that? And we'll get you whatever you need to be done to separate yourself and to make distinction that your allegiance is to who now? Jesus Christ. Because all of us, you understand that? Whether it's Ernie the blunt smoker, right? Yeah. You name it. That's the world that I've been saved from. 
And I had to make a choice. You know, my marijuana smoking was a lifestyle. I love to eat afterwards. I love to hang out with my boys. I love to kick it. I did all that stuff. You understand what I mean? It was a lifestyle. And so I wasn't just turning on a, a joint. What I was turning on is a lifestyle, and I had to kiss that goodbye and make my home with you. And you guys better love me and not judge me. You understand? So I might come the first day, and Jairus might be, Pastor King smells funny. <laughs> well, not pastor yet. Let me take that back. Well, what's that smell? And Jairus privately comes along and says, hey, you know what, Ernie, I know that you, you know, had a past here, right? Yeah, yeah, and I smoked in a, yeah, yeah, this and that and the other thing, and I did too. And, uh, you know, the other day I smelled this on you and your car, and uh, you doing okay, bro? See, what he's doing is he's beginning to point out what? But he's doing it in what? Non-condemnatory fashion, and he's giving me hope that I can be accepted here in the house of God. You understand what I'm saying? And so that's what it means to carry the balance. That's what it means to judge righteous. That's what Jesus did with sinners. Just the fact that Jesus is God, if we would have known, if, let's say like God opened our eyes up to that fact first. You know how we would all scram and duck for cover, right? We would not want him to walk through that door. Can you imagine walking around God all day and hanging around him? I wouldn't want that pressure on me. I would constantly be feeling what? You see how Jesus went out of his way to secure us? You, you understand that? And we got to do the same, brothers and sisters. As we're being cleaned up, as we're being sanctified, you know, we got to work this out. You guys might come into my life and you guys might think that I'm all squeaky clean. I'm not. Get to know me. That's all I would say. Just get to know me. You understand? But we got to become masters at giving hope. We got to become masters at making people feel accepted, that are fleeing, not supporting their cause anymore, not advocating. And we got to make that distinction. So don't come to me. Don't come to me and say, man, you were too harsh on this sinner over here when they're trying to, you know, infiltrate the church and they're still committed to their sin. No, I'm going to stop that at the door as your pastor. And I'm going to try to do it in love, but it might get ugly. If they're going to hold on to that and still trying to bring it in here, uh-uh, that's what John the Baptist was doing. No, you bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. That's what you need to do. Because if you don't, you ain't accepted here. And that ain't judging in a wrong sense, brothers and sisters. And we don't have to state it like John, right? I wouldn't. I'd probably get beat down. But nevertheless, okay, we have to discern that. There is a way to judge righteously, brothers and sisters, and it's not easy to do. It takes time. So in conclusion, we are to judge, but judge righteously. We are never to sin. In our pointing out sin, we are never to condemn. We're to let people know that we're for them. We're to give them hope. We're to, we're to be able to point them to a way that where they can come and get help. And notice, notice this, and, 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 and one last thing, one, one last distinction I think you guys need to make here, or at least I need to make in my mind. Don't confuse repentance with change. Okay? Repentance 
is a change of direction. Change is what they need help doing now. You understand? That's what we're for. That's why it's vital that we don't judge them. Because what happens is if you don't give them that hope that they can change in a safe place, then they're, they're going to feel hopeless and they're going to not want to go there. Because I still feel what by them? Judged. Oh, here comes a guy who, who used to be this. Whew. Ooh. Now I'm exaggerating, but you guys know what I'm talking about. And they might be stuck and vacillating in, you know, one foot in and one foot out. They might be going through that. Love them through that. Encourage them. Call upon the name of the Lord for them. And show that you love sinners just like you once were foolish and disobedient and ignorant of God's ways. But when the kindness and the love of God opens your heart, for by grace you've been saved, that not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God to you, okay? With that same love that you've been loved with, make sure you love the sinners and your brethren. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are God. We thank you for sharing yourself with us. And we pray that you would empower us to be just like you. We ask it for your glory. Amen.